All right, so uh, this is Sterling, and I am here with Arjun from The Factual. Uh, I just want to say hello. Nice to meet you, Arjun. Thanks very much for having me, Sterling. I'm delighted to be here. All right, perfect. So uh, what we're going to do, this is going to be actually our first interview. Uh, we've done several podcast episodes so far where we discuss a week's worth of news. And this is just an opportunity for us to both grow our brand. So Arjun is presenting the factual uh, newsletter that we're using for Essential News Discussion. So it's their newsletter. They do a great job. Um, I was working on creating my own and I kind of stumbled across theirs and I was just blown away. So I figure why try to recreate the wheel and I'll just help distribute the wheel to as many people as possible. So uh, without further ado, we're going to have a nice little discussion here, get to know Arjun, get to know the factual and uh, talk on a few other items as well. So Arjun, the first thing I got to ask is what is the factual? Sure. Uh, so the factual is a news service that gives you unbiased news on trending topics in the news. And we use a rating system, an algorithm, to rate about 10,000 articles every day on four dimensions that most of us associate with credible news. So the first is how extensively, how extensively sourced is an article, um, a very complex analysis of links and quotes and how many and where they point to and, and uh, whether they repeat and whether they point to good sources, things like that. Um, the second is how unopinionated is the tone of writing. And so there's a natural language processing algorithm that looks at all of the text and sees how opinionated it is or how neutral it is. Uh, and the more neutral it is, the higher it scores. The third is uh, how much of a topical expert is the reporter? So have they written on this topic before? Have they written extensively on it? Do they only write on it? How have those previous articles scored, et cetera? And then the last is a site reputation score, basically a historical average of all the articles in that site. And so those four factors we use to rate uh, every article that we can find every day. And then we group them into topics. And then we select the best three articles for each topic from across the political spectrum. So you get a few different angles at every topic. And then we have little handy summaries for that. All of that comes together in a nightly newsletter as well as on our website. Uh, well-described, well-thought-out process. Um, that's exactly what uh, kind of captivated me. So, you know, the name, The Factual is a great name. It kind of uh, puts that hook out there and starts to reel you in. And the more you see, the more um, my personal experience was, the more I liked it. Um, and, you know, I think that what you're doing is fantastic. And uh, it's like literally the perfect complement to uh, what I sought out to do with the Essential News discussion, which focuses on uh, talking about the news. So, um, in doing so, I learned how to better analyze uh, articles for my own understanding. And the factual does that for, in my opinion, the masses. So um, I think that's great that you did that. Um, how long ago did you create the factual? Uh, boy, it's been a long journey, uh, Sterling. So uh, the company is now four years old, uh, but we've uh, gone through a bunch of iterations and, and names as well. So it actually started out as something called Civic Owl very civic-minded uh, tech company. And we wanted our initial hypothesis. So we, we knew we wanted to do something in the news. I've always been a big news geek. Believe it or not, back, uh, my very first job was as a paper boy when I was 12. And uh, I swear, I think that's where I fell in love with the news. And so I always wanted to do something with the news. Um, right around 2016, uh, I saw that the news industry was going through turmoil. There was a lack of trust and there was a uh, 
uh, a business model failure. And so like a very naive engineer that I am, I teamed up with my colleague, my co-founder, who's a phenomenal engineer, but perhaps just as naive. And we both said, hey, let's apply technology to solve this problem. And uh, boy, were we, uh, were we misguided. So uh, our, our first vision actually was quite different. It was uh, people used to say, what's the point of reading the news? You know, I can't do anything about it. So our first vision was, uh, our first product was to have this button uh, called the give a damn button. And uh, it was attached to, yeah, it was very tongue in cheek. I like attach, it. Attached to articles. And if you clicked on it, it would uh, find out what your location was and, and what the subject matter of the article was. And basically say, hey, here's your local representative, elected representative. This is what they've said about this topic. And, you know, you can go off and contact them. And a lot of people said, oh, it's a great idea. And, and we built it, but then they didn't use it. And when we were trying to figure out why, people said, look, I don't even know what I would tell my senator if I contacted them. I'm not even sure if the article I'm reading is any good. Like, I don't want to look stupid. And so we set out to build a system that would help people find good news and credible news, reliable news, so that they could be educated on it and then perhaps do something with it. And so that's actually how we set upon writing the algorithm to find credible news. Uh, and we figured out early on that you know one of the real challenges is political bias and uh, how stories get framed and how facts get uh, skewed a certain way. So uh, right from the get-go, we wanted to make sure that we were really getting politically diverse uh, viewpoints and stories in our rating system. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that, that was the inspiration for it. And like I said, it's taken some uh, turns along the way, but now uh, we seem to have found a good product that has uh, good usage and attention, people that are really happy for it. Yeah, you guys do a great job. The um, tone of voice was something that seemed pretty subjective, but the more I thought about it, the more I appreciate what you're able to create. Um, it's 100% proprietary technology is my understanding, and I can't even wrap my mind around how you did it, but I just thought about the process of when you're reading an article, and if the writer says something along the lines of, we must do this, or we should do this, I think that those are different examples of the tone where you're going to be able to tell if the um, message is skewed one way or another. Is that a fair example of, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, pretty, pretty close. So, uh, you know, the, uh, to get a little bit into a more technical definition, what we look at is uh, every word in the English language can be assigned an emotional score. Um, and there are dictionaries out there that you can get with this. So, that's part of the story is understanding the emotional sort of score of a, of a text passage. Um, there are also grammar heuristics and that one's similar to what you said, where there are um, words that are used that are somewhat frivolous or flowery and sort of indicate how opinionated it is. So adverbs typically uh, will tip off a system, subjective pronouns or so lots and lots of these kinds of heuristics. When you put it all together, then it runs this analysis and says, is this article you know, overly opinionated or not? Um, and it's pretty good. Uh, to be totally honest, I don't, it's not 100% um, accuracy, but it's a very good first filter. And usually if it says something is very opinionated, then it almost certainly is. Um, if it says something is not opinionated, it might miss a thing or two. But if it says it's opinionated, then you can be pretty sure it is. Um, and by the way, one thing I did want to mention, Sterling, you know, you said there's a proprietary system, which is true. It's all built in-house and is, is part of what makes uh, 
adds value to the factual, but we make the ratings transparent to users. So you can see those four factors, you know, the uh, sources and citation score, the, the tone score, the expertise score, and the site reputation score. You can see all four of those on every article that we rate. Uh, and you can see that there are links within the newsletter with the details as well as on the website. Um, because if you're going to be in the business of rating news credibility and trust in news, then the best way to build trust is to be fairly transparent in how you do things. You know, it's not perfect. We're open to criticism and, and updating things as we, as we get valid criticism and, and feedback. But if we don't tell people how it works, then we're just another black box like every other news feed and every other search engine and, and social media system. And, and that's not really any good. I think that's very well said. Um, you said you're open to criticism, and that's actually one thing that I've had to embrace. Um, I have not been, um, you know, working on essential news discussion as long as you've uh, been working on the factual. And you know, I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. The factual is just an amazing product that um, is is very impressive. Like I said before, so I apologize for all the um, you know adulation that I'm giving you, but uh, it's <laughs> it's it's well deserved. And thank the, you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, the uh, criticism part that I get, um, I've had to lean into and embrace it, and I do um, because I can't compete with you know a lot of the you know Candace Owens or you know the talking heads on the news that have all of the time to research and be well versed in politics. So what little what little time I, I do have to um, research, read articles, post and share, I have to be open to um, you know being wrong. And I I lean into the bias. Um, I am a human. I'm not able to uh, put all of the same level of thought as the proprietary technology you've come up with, and then also the transparency um, of that technology. So what I do is I just try my, I literally try my best. Um, I read the information, I post it, I may take an excerpt, I might take a, um, a comment or two, and then I'll share it. Um, in doing so, um, I think my conservative or right-leaning tendencies, which are all very recent, um, do tend to show in my posts. And the content that I post, just like you probably are aware, um, when you post something that's just, whether it's to the left or to the right, Facebook's algorithm, um, which is our biggest plat social media platform right now, um, just keeps kind of feeding you more and more to whatever it is that you're leaning to. Um, and that, that has been something that has cost me a few, um, you know, likes and follows. But the thing that I've noticed is I've also not been far enough to the right where I've also lost a few likes and follows that way. So I've also had to come with terms that you really can't please everybody. And um, I, in sharing the factual with a, a friend of mine, uh, they put in some, they, they were testing out the, the ranking, like the credibility uh, rankings that you guys offer. And because it didn't really align with his viewpoint of them, uh, <laughs> he was a little bit dismissive as I was talking about it. And I was just like kind of shaking my head about how, um, you know, we can build walls to um, prevent ourselves from, you know, seeing this information. And uh, it was just an interesting observation. Uh, have you witnessed anything along those lines where people still push back despite uh, your best efforts to put forth a product that seems, you know, as non as unbiased as it can be? Yeah, absolutely. And uh I'd say on average, at least uh, once or twice a week, we'll get some thoughtful feedback from people on, hey, I don't understand this, or, uh, you know, it feels like uh, this is off. And uh, once we dig into it together and explain sort of some of the nuances, uh, most of the time they'll see that, okay, the rating is fair. Uh, sometimes it might be that the rating's off. Maybe there was a, there's an error in extracting the content for rating or, or we, um, 
missed, uh, you know, that the tone analysis was incorrect or something. Usually it's some sort of technical glitch, like we just couldn't extract the content or we don't have the author information and there's not enough expertise uh, rating for an author, things like that. Um, the way that I, I say it is, uh, you know, our score is a probability of an article being credible. And so it's, uh, you know, zero to hundred percent. And if you have a very high score, usually, you know, north of 75 or 80%, it says this has a high probability of being credible. It doesn't mean it's, you know, the truth or gospel. Right. You still have to use your judgment, but it has all the hallmarks of good reporting. You're probably going to find something of use here. If it has a low score, it has a low probability of being credible. It doesn't mean that it's fake news or false or whatever other term you want. It just means our system is not able to verify a lot. Uh, in it. So be a little cautious as you're reading it. Uh, you might still find value, but at least our system can't validate a lot of it. And once people sort of get their head around that, then they understand that, oh, it's not sort of an absolute, you know, true, false sort of indicator. It's a guide. It's a handy guide. It's saying, here's some good stuff, and you're probably going to get some value from it. And then here's some stuff that we don't know, read with a little bit of caution. Okay, that's a good explanation. I like that. Um, yeah. what, are, what are some of the plans that you have for growth or some things about the factual that we may not be aware of? Yeah. So, you know, from a growth standpoint, uh, there are a bunch of things that we want to do. The first is at its core, the factual is this rating system. And the mission that we see ourselves on is helping more people around the world get credible news on important news topics. That's an enormous mission. It's, it's far bigger than us. And it's exactly why, Sterling, we're talking this evening, because, you know, what you're doing at Essential News Discussion, like, that's, that's another piece in the story. And there are lots and lots of people like you and me that are out there that are frustrated by the news and what they see and say, I want to do something and make things better. And it can be as simple as, like, a group of individuals who meet regularly, talk about the news offline, to, you know, more scalable things like you're doing or, or I'm doing. But I see us as part of a bigger story, this movement, and we want to make sure that our technology gets into as many places as possible so that uh, more and more people have access to a high-quality news feed. So that's a long-winded preamble uh, to say that, you know, we want to find ways to get our ratings into other places, um, whether it's people that have websites that are running things like a news discussion service, maybe they get our news feed embedded in there. Um, you can get your ratings right in Twitter and Facebook using our Chrome extension. There are all these different ways to get at the factual. Obviously, the newsletter is the big one. That's what most people like. There are a lot of people that uh, want an app. You know, for them, that's how they get their news. So uh, we'll ha have an app in the near future. But I think if you kind of think of Spotify and how, you know, Spotify is, it's the music I want, but anywhere I want it, on any device, whether I'm in an Uber car, whether I'm in my home, anywhere, similar sorts of thing. I want high quality news wherever I am in whatever format. And that's where we continue to build out new modes of operation like uh, an app, but also new sort of partnering type things with these widgets that can be on websites. That's how I think a lot of people can get access to the factual uh, even outside of our own properties. 
It sounds beautiful. Um, I, I look forward to growing alongside with you and uh, seeing how we can continue to complement each other, even if it's as something as simple as continuing this conversation at uh, varying points in the future. And of course, uh, bigger and better things together. So um, that's fantastic. Um, I thought I'd kind of uh, conclude our conversation today by going over some of the um, discussion points that we talked about on our most recent uh, podcast. So um, is that okay with you? Yeah, yeah, of course. It's exciting. All right, perfect. So uh, one of the things that um, kind of led to the uh, most recent growth for Central News discussion was uh, obviously the topic of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So my unique perspective on this was to look at, okay, so we're having these additional deaths due to coronavirus. And I just wanted to see how is this affecting us compared to years in the past? So by the time I started to research it, it was in um, April of 2020 when, you know, things were kind of getting out of control, right? So the 2019 data was not in for the United States for um, the total deaths due to all causes. So I looked at 2018. And when I looked at 2018, I divided the total number of deaths by the 365 days in the year to arrive at a daily death count in America. Uh, I know that's kind of bleak and grim, but obviously it mm -hmm. seems relatively appropriate to, to try to get a fair baseline comparison as best as I'm able. So I used the CDC and um, when I got the information, the total came to 7,778 Americans died in the United States from all causes in 2018. So what I did was I went to the CDC website again, and I looked at causes from, or deaths from all causes. And there is a disclaimer at the bottom, so I'll mention this, that the death count might not be accurate as of the date reflected in the top of the chart. And I thought that was a little weird because I think that deaths should be noted the, the moment they occur, and then they can sort them according to the causation after the fact was my opinion. Um, but their disclaimer said that it could take between uh, two and four weeks and sometimes longer. So the numbers that are being reported as accurate have the possibility of being a little bit behind. To what scale, I'm not sure. But anyway, on the most recent post, um, that number for the number of um, deaths in 2020, again, from all causes, was 7,546. Um, that's pretty unique in my experience that we have a pandemic and the total daily death rate is less than what it was in 2018. So my observation tells me that possibly the reactions we had to the coronavirus were too extreme because we mitigated um, the death results as we wanted, which is a good thing, but at what cost? So I was just going to get your opinion on that. What do you think about the data? Did I miss something? Um, and how does that information, if I didn't miss anything, uh, how, does, how does it sound to you? Um, I think you might have missed something, but honestly, I don't know exactly what. And the reason I say this is a while ago, there were a few uh, studies and articles on excess deaths. Cool. Uh, I've seen that in trying to find this number and they right. do a description of those excess deaths. Yeah. And so it seems to me like those are pretty, re you know, reliably calculated and it's shown that country after country, not just the United States, but the UK, Belgium, Sweden, everywhere. If you look at excess deaths, there has been an excess um, of deaths in each of the countries that have been hit by the coronavirus, uh, a noticeable increase in excess deaths. And um, it cannot be explained. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's sort of the, the high level observation is there have been excess deaths. 
it sounds like your your calculation um, sort of says no, there isn't. It's kind of roughly the same as as before. So again, having not seen your calculations, I don't right. know, but it it doesn't sort of align with what I've read elsewhere. So I would say something seems off, but I'd have to dig into it a little bit more. Maybe if I had to just guess, I would say looking at an entire entire year's worth of debts and normalizing it or averaging it over 365 days. I don't know if that's the right comparison. You might need to do something more granular, like look at a seasonal average from say April through August, which is really when we've been seeing the coronavirus have its share of debts. And say for those months, because maybe you know debts over the course of the year go up and down, I don't know, maybe winter months are worse for people. But over the, the summer months, which is primarily where we've seen this happen, um, how has the death rate compared uh, to prior years? And then see, and I think you're going to see uh, an increase. So that yeah, would be... I, yeah, and the reason, I apologize for wanting, I, I started to talk earlier and I apologize for cutting you off now no, if no, I did. No, not at all. Um, I wanted to make sure I made that disclaimer at the bottom of the chart from the CDC. And that's the part that is the most frustrating because in the search for information and data, if you have um, a death count that is delayed by two to four weeks or more, my concern is that I'm presenting false information unintentionally because once we get to the end of the year and I have 365 days by a numerical value to divide it by, I'm going to have a number. And then you fast forward 30 months or sorry, 30 days. And that number has gone up significantly because I didn't have all the data as it was, um, it seemed to be presented. So in my opinion, I think that that is uh, potentially concealing some of the data, but I've also done this from May until now, September. And what I've noticed about the 2020 uh, deaths is that they are slowly creeping up because if you go back to the month before, I think it was like 7,300 and something, it was 7,200 and it's just been progressively creeping up and it hasn't been at a constant rate, but it's been growing a little bit. And I think that growth is attributed to what you were talking about because all those news articles and, you know, around the 4th of July, uh, Labor Day, all the social gatherings that are associated with those holidays, I think those started to come in play. So um, I appreciate that, um, that insight because I think that if I look harder, I might be able to get more specific, but uh, there is something there that is just not readily available. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's not as simple a calculation even to unravel in, in one sense, because, you know, as, as most communities have been in some form of lockdown, um, it changes our pattern. So uh, I uh, Very true. traffic fatalities have gone down. The um, Southern uh, hemisphere has also had a very mild flu season due to um, travel restrictions. So I would also suspect because in the beginning of the year, we're still seeing some increased deaths due to the flu. Um, and then obviously coronavirus is like an accelerator for um, you know, other illnesses like that and sicknesses. I don't think we're going to have as bad of a flu season um, if our uh, trends are like those in the Southern hemisphere. So that was just something else that I uh, kind of came across as well. But we, you know, only time will tell is we're just now getting into September. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing is, if you look at the case fatality rate, it seems clear that uh, coronavirus is more lethal than the common flu. Um, I agree. It kind of acts like um, 
like I said, I use the word an accelerator just because yeah. it has that tie to other diseases and illnesses. And in all of the articles that came out trying to, um, you know, give, I would say it was kind of anecdotal evidence if you look at it as a case for or against the coronavirus. But um, unfortunately, they're sad stories of loss of life. And a lot of those people did have pre-existing conditions um, one way or another, some of them with a couple different ones, but um, their time came too soon as a result of the coronavirus accelerating some of those um, issues. Right. Yeah, um, certainly if you, if, if you were a sort of a healthy person without pre-existing conditions, it does seem like the fatality rate is, is very small. Correct. Um, I think it's still slightly worse than uh, the common flu. Um, I want to say it's, I, I don't know, I, last I heard, you know, common flu is maybe like 0.1% or something like that case fatality. And I feel like coronavirus is hovering around, I don't know, 0.5 or something. So, or 0.3. So it's, it's worse. It's not, you know, 10x worse, but it's worse. And yeah. maybe once we sort of split apart the population, if you have the data to say so, and say, well, take out all the people that are pre-existing conditions and then what are we talking about maybe it isn't as bad um, you know but I think the challenge is when you have something that is more lethal to one segment of the population which is folks with pre-existing conditions or the elderly it's hard to just say well you guys all be locked up and, and don't go out anywhere the rest of us will go about our way and and wait till a vaccine is there tough to I don't know tough to implement tough to even message that uh, not easy, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'll move on to our last topic of discussion. Uh, when I talked about it on the uh, podcast, it didn't really get um, the the discussion going like I wanted with you know my co-hosts Jose and Everett. But um, mm -hmm. it was about TikTok and WeChat. But mm -hmm. the bigger picture is, you know, once we kind of got into it, the bigger picture is um, essentially government intervention and what they what they're allowed to do and what we're allowed to do. So just to give like a generic background, I'm sure you're a little familiar, but um, mm -hmm. I believe Sunday they were supposed the government was supposed to restrict um, our ability to download WeChat. I don't know if that was extended or not. And then I also know that the government was helping facilitate a sale of uh, American operations for TikTok with Oracle. And uh, there's a couple other players potentially in line there, but essentially it's the forced selling uh, from the, the Chinese government and the Chinese business um, that co-own TikTok. And obviously the reason behind, just for people that are listening to this that might not know, is that um, the Chinese government gathers a lot of data from American citizens. Now, I've heard people downplay that data because they say, well, they're just going to see preteens and teenagers dance moves and all these irrelevant pieces of information. However, when you look at what you agree to when you download the app, they are able to monitor your location. They're able to use your microphone. They're able to just see a lot of different things that have the potential to be security risks. Um, and then add in the added element of uh, President Trump uh, he has a way with words that can uh, be very polarizing, and he is at odds with China for a variety of different reasons. So you have all these different things coming together, and my, I have my opinions on this, but I am interested to see, do you think that the government should intervene in a way? And also, do you think that it is an issue of any kind that the, um, a foreign government has the ability to um, gather so much information on citizens of another country? Uh, I mean, the second one is, is an easier question. Of course, you know, you don't want any government and certainly not a foreign government like China 
being able to surveil our population um, or any population for that matter. Uh, so yeah, that's a bad thing. I think most people would agree with that unequivocally. Should, uh, you know, what's going on with TikTok and uh, WeChat, I think is less about that and more about political football. I think um, there's a bunch of ways to look at this. Uh, one is the Chinese uh, government is far more strict on American companies than right. American government is on Chinese companies. So, hey, how come we're nice to them when they're not nice to us? And maybe it's, it's a little bit of that. Um, some of it is, is, like I said, just political football. So whether it's President Trump wanting to gain points with his base or negotiate harder for a different kind of trade deal with China, uh, it could be any of the following, some reasons better than others. But I don't think this is really about saving the American population from surveillance risk from China. That doesn't strike me as what's really going on here. I think it's a little bit more negotiation, political jockeying, uh, and maybe some tit for tat. You know, you don't allow American companies to do this. So therefore, we're also going to take a shot at you. If it was really about surveillance, I think there'd be a lot more detail around that. You know, what information is being gathered, uh, how we know that it's being gathered, how does it differ from information that American companies gather on companies? on our own citizens, you know, how is their advertising platform any different than like a Facebook or Twitter or what have you? Um, where is that information stored? Like there'd just be so much more technical detail on that. And I feel like the fact that that's not really being talked about as much makes me feel like this isn't, this whole story is less about that and more about negotiation and political jockeying. I can see your point. Um, part of the reason I kind of chuckled to myself is I, I almost made the comment uh, sarcastically, of course, was to say that I, I can't imagine Trump doing something strictly for political imaging or you know, public image. Uh, but obviously that was just said in jest. Uh, but with that being said, I do think that there is a legitimate concern to this. And I think that legitimate concern was addressed when um, I believe government officials banned the use of um, TikTok um, and possibly WeChat, more than likely both of them, on their private phones. And that would resolve a lot of the concerns that I raised early on. Um, but there is the potential there that, you know, a government official has a, a child and that child has TikTok and they're able to do some research and connect the dots. And then now they know when, you know, when to listen and how to monitor uh, certain phones to gather it. So I see the potential, but I think that they took care of the bigger risk when they eliminated it from, um, you know, government, high-ranking government employees that might handle sensitive information. So yeah, definitely something to uh, be aware of. Um, and yes, the, uh, the American uh, companies do gather the information on American citizens as well. But I do believe that there is a significant difference in the relationship between American companies and the American government versus Chinese companies and the Chinese government. And also, uh, there is not a Facebook and Twitter in China, if I'm not mistaken. I think they have their own version of both. Do you know if that's accurate? You know, I can't remember if there's something exactly like that. I feel like in China, um, you know, text messaging and chatting through WeChat to multiple different groups on WeChat, that seems to be a more popular social network layer um, on, for, their, for their news feed. Uh, they have something called Tochao. I think that's how you pronounce it, Tochao. Okay. Um, and it's kind of YouTube-ish, kind of newsfeed-ish. It's kind of a mix of both. 
it's uh, wildly popular. And really the underlying technology behind TikTok's algorithms, I think is shared with that because they both have the same parent company called ByteDance. Um, so yeah, they do have their own variations of things that we take and that, that we have here like YouTube and, and Facebook, but uh, different incarnations. And uh, certainly I think the social networking layer is more around chatting and texting than it is around sort of a Facebook-like, you know, sharing pictures of family and friends. I don't know that uh, they sort of have like a public version of that. Like people don't have public pages on that. I think you just, you have your WeChat groups. I think that's the bigger sort of social layer. Nice. Well, you gave me some um, good information to research the next time I bring this up on the podcast, because we are going to, um, you know, uh, give a resolution once we know what um, ultimately happens. Uh, but with that being said, I'm going to wrap up things on my end. I'll let you um, have the closing words and uh, let people know where they can find you. Um, but yeah. Oh, uh, this... by the way, Sterling, yes, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just searched on CDC. Um, they have an excess deaths graph. And uh, so I just posted that into the chat pane for you. Take a look. It's really nicely done as far as I can tell. And um, what you can see if you scroll down to that page on the CDC, it shows that there are excess deaths starting right around uh, March 28th. Um, so there's this orange line. It, it sort of, it plots the deaths week by week. And then there's an orange line for each week and says, if it goes over this orange line, that's unusual. We would think that's excess of some kind. And you could see that, you know, for the last two years, it's always been under the orange line, uh, which is roughly, as I thought, there's some sort of a cyclical pattern or a seasonal pattern to it Correct. where it dips in the summer months and rises in the winter months. But, nice. Uh, this is, I, I, don't, I don't know how I did not come across this specific graph. I came across paragraphs of information explaining uh, excess deaths. And I probably, uh, it was just like looking at a gray page after four or five paragraphs, but um, this graph is a lot easier to um, digest. And I'm going to look at this at greater length once we're done. So thank you for uh, finding that for me. Perfect. Yeah. Anytime. Um, sorry. So I interrupted you. Uh, you wanted me to wrap up. Uh, yeah, sorry, keep, go on, please. Absolutely. So um, essentialnewsdiscussion.com, um, we finally got our website updated. So when you uh, sign up for our newsletter, you will see that it is actually presented by The Factual, and that's what we're going to be sharing with you. Uh, my goal, really, when I was going to create the newsletter was to uh, create something that I thought would be of great benefit to you know the consumer, the reader. And when I came across yours, I found it. <laughs> so <laughs> it, made it, it made it really easy for me. And I'm glad that you're allowing us to do that. So I uh, look forward to doing that. Go ahead and uh, put in your email address. So that way you can start getting uh, the newsletter from The Factual. And they have some great options there. So that's all I want to do is to uh, let people know to go to our website, check that out. You'll see our podcast available to be played on the website. And of course, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, that's primarily right now Apple while we're waiting for Amazon. Uh, that's Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And, um, you know, Ajun, uh, let me let you uh, finish up. Yeah, well, thank you again for having me. It's been a delightful conversation. Um, to everyone listening, uh, thanks very much for taking the time to listen. And as Sterling said, please do sign up for the newsletter at uh, essentialnews.com. You know, uh, we, uh, like I said, this is a much bigger problem than, than the factual and, and perhaps even essential news discussion. All of us are facing it together. Uh, what, this is about building a community of people that care about factual news, credible news, uh, diverse viewpoints to complex issues and understanding that issues are not so simple like any one headline will ever commu uh, communicate. Um, the more people we can get on this train, the better off our country is and, and arguably any society. So 
everyone that's listening to this, you're all part of the movement, right? Getting your friends and family to think more critically about the news uh, is, is really the, the part of it, a big part of it. The way you discuss your news, uh, like you do an essential news discussion, uh, you know, that's a really big part of it because only when you discuss and talk do your ideas get refined and maybe you get open to new ideas. And then, of course, reading uh, more than just perhaps a periodical that you're used to. And that's where something like the factual can come in. So, um, yeah, I, a little bit meandering, but uh, what I mean to say is we're all in this together. It is more than just a technology or a newsletter. This is a mission that all of us are behind to say, let's get more of the world reading credible news from politically diverse viewpoints uh, so that we have uh, better information in the world around us, make better decisions. Arjun, uh, thank you so much for your time and everything that you shared was fantastic. Um, and everybody go to thefactual.com backslash news is what I'm seeing in my uh, URL browser. Thank you guys so much. Have a good evening.